Well, thanks again for joining us. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some of you in person right here next week. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I know many of you are. But until we get there, this is where we are right now. So thank you again for tuning in. Really honored to have you here with us. But let me ask you a question as we begin. If I were to ask you this question, how would you respond? If you had a chance to go into your home that was burning to save one thing, what is that one thing that you would save? You know, I've been asked that question before as a kid, and I remember thinking about all the things I might save. And at first I thought I might save my old Nintendo that I had, and then later on I thought I might save my dog, and then later on I thought I might save something else. But as I really begin to think about all that's going on around me, I begin to think, okay, um, of all the things that are happening here, you know, maybe I might actually save, maybe I might actually save the family photos that we have in our photo album. Like, that's what I think I would save. Because, you know, those can't be, you know, repeated. Those can't be, uh, you know, found somewhere else. And then I thought, well, maybe Shutterfly has me covered. You know, maybe we don't have that, that problem anymore. But then I also thought, someone told me along the way, you know what you should save if you're a good Christian? Your Bible. And then I thought, well, good grief, I can get another one of those if I need to, but I can't get more pictures, you know, if I need to get those. But as I think about what's going on around us, I think, you know, we have... Um, in a way, our home isn't on fire, but in a way, our community is. In a way, our society is. And not just on fire from protests and, and riots, but I'm talking about the impact of this pandemic on us. It's almost as if when I look back to what happened at the beginning of the pandemic, when it first hit, it kind of felt like this invisible thing is creating like a community-wide fire, and I don't know what all is going to be consumed by it. And I began to think, what one thing do I need to say? What one thing do I need to run into this fire to save? And I began thinking especially about what is going to be the future of this church? If I could run into this fire, is this fire of the pandemic going to consume the church? And I remember thinking that. I remember seeing the fear in the eyes of some of our local pastors as we began looking at the data. And we were looking at the reality that some churches giving was down by 50% immediately with no outcome of that changing, no vision of that potentially changing. I remember talking with people who are community leaders saying we could be looking at unemployment of around 35% by the time we're done with this. Very discouraging news. I remember talking with people saying we may not get together again and be able to have large group gatherings until next year. And you begin to put all that together and you kind of feel this encroaching fire, if you will, of this pandemic kind of coming into your space. And you wonder, are you going to have time to rush in and save anything? And are you going to have time to rush in even and save the church? Well, I began to act, if I'm honest, out of some fear. I began to act in kind of a self-preservation mode. I began to think, okay, if the data is out there that says 25 to 30% of churches are not going to return from this, they will simply close their doors across the nation. They just can't recover. What if that's GPC? And then I thought, no way. No way. Like, I will do everything I can to make sure that GPC stays open. And then I began to ask another question, and that is, if I could look at all the churches in our community, and I would say, you know what, only maybe 10 of them have the chance to survive, would I be okay to say, we will survive as if it costs another church the chance for survival? And I thought, yes. And then I thought, I'm not sure that's healthy. 
In other words, I am willing to see other churches go down if it means that we can stay around. I thought, uh, you know, I don't think that's a good thing. I really don't think that is a good thing. And so I began to ask myself this question and allow it to sit on my heart for a minute. And that is this, what would happen if GPC never returns? What would happen if this pandemic shuts down Grace Point Church forever? The church that began in 1735 is no longer because of this pandemic. And I'll be honest, it was a hard thought. It was a hard thought really to engage and embrace. And one of my first thoughts was, well, um, I would need a new job. (laughs) Then I began to think of all the people who are impacted, all the stories, all the history all the traditions, all the forms of worship that we have, all the service opportunities that we have, all the commitments that we have over the years. And I think, man, what a shame it would be if this actually were to take place where GPC might never return. And then it began to, I began to think a little bit more. I began to think, if GPC doesn't go on, if GPC doesn't go on, Is that the end of the world? In other words, if GPC doesn't go on, does the church itself fail or is it just that GPC doesn't go on? And I began to think about, you know what? I think what's most important here, what's more important than GPC continuing is that the church continues. What's more important than Grace Point being fought for and saved from the fire is that the church is saved from the fire, if you will. That my interest in supporting our local churches and local pastors is equal to my interest in supporting what happens at Grace Point Church. That my vision began to rise from saving Grace Point Church to making sure that the mission of the church universal is carried on, not just the work of Grace Point Church, which led me to my first of four pandemic priorities. You'll see in the subtitle, it's all about erasing the S. And here's what we mean by that. That this first priority, the first thing I was learning is that in this season, the church, the church is more important than church is. The church is more important than church as. What I mean by that is that the church universal is more important than church is specific. That the interest of God is that church as universal continue, but that an individual church can come and go. And this was a hard reality for me to embrace, but I, but I did. And I, in a way, stepped into this thinking, what if Grace Point doesn't ever return? Would that be okay? Would the mission of God continue? The church universal is this church of people who have gone before us and will come after us. It's a church made up of people who are young and old, people who are white and black and brown, and people who are are older and people who are, are younger, people who are single and people who are married, people who are on the left and people who are on the right. It's made up of people from every generation of every nation at all time. It is a church that is rooted in love. In John 17, Jesus talks about that. Rooted in love, but driven by mission. Like in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It is a church universal. That this universal church, yes, the Grace Point is a part of, but it is a universal church that is the heartbeat of the call and the work of God. And I began to put Grace Point in perspective a little bit and say, I think that the church universal is more important than church as particular. 
not to diminish what individual churches do, but to get my heart in the right place. Because I began to realize I'm actually fighting, I think, the wrong fight. I began to think, I think I'm fighting the wrong fight here. I think I'm fighting a battle for Grace Point Church. I'm fighting a battle for what I'm used to. I'm fighting a battle for this church, for our history, for our preferences, for our tendencies, for the things that we love and we want. I thought that is just going to lead me and lead us to self-preservation mode. It is going to make me want to lead in a way that is going to be willing to allow other churches to die so that we might live. I thought that is so unhealthy, so unhealthy. And when I fight the wrong fight, and I know that we've all fought the wrong fights, but when I fight the wrong fight and, and focus so much on the church, I realized this, that I was fighting for what I was fighting for was I was fighting for my version of church, my version of church that I want to fight for this, what I'm used to at GPC, what maybe you're used to at GPC. And then I began to have another kind of terrifying thought. And that is this, when I fight so hard for my version of church, what I'm going to end up doing is minimizing church, shrinking it down to a size that I no longer actually worship God and are changed by him, but I package the church into a way that serves my needs and meets my comfort zones, but doesn't actually invigorate and catalyze the passions of my heart. It doesn't force me into confession of sin. It doesn't give me a grander vision of my life. It just draws me to say, I want to fight for what I'm used to and make sure that I'm comfortable for the rest of my days. And I was fighting and willing to fight for that version of the church. To put it another way, to put it this way, I realize that the tighter we hold the things that we love, the faster we squeeze the life out of them. The tighter that we hold the things that we love, the faster we squeeze the life out of them. And you know this is true, and I know this is true. If you've ever been in a bad dating relationship with a boyfriend who's kind of smothering or a girlfriend who's super jealous, there's a squeeze on your life. And it's like, I think you like me, but you're really getting annoying right now. I don't even want to be around you because you're, oh, you're tight on me. If you ever worked for a micromanager who's a boss, kind of that squeeze that comes, squeezes a life right out of you. We know this principle is true, that the tighter we hold the things that we love, the faster we squeeze the life out of them. And I was afraid that in my interest in preserving Grace Point Church, that I would squeeze the life out of the church itself. And it is such an irony that the things that we love, if we're not careful how we handle them, we will kill them in our interest to care for them because of how much we want to protect them. And Jesus speaks about this in John chapter 12, which is where I want to go with you this morning. And so if you have a Bible there at home, if you're watching on your couch, or if you're watching later on, you're working out and you have your phone by you, whatever, if you can pull it up. And I'd love to have you look with me at John chapter 12, because Jesus speaks to this great irony in John chapter 12 about being willing to lose what we love so that we can find life. So John chapter 12, beginning at verse 23 is where I want to go. Um, the Bible, if you have a Bible near you, hopefully you can find John. It's just in kind of the right two-thirds of your Bible. If you pull up a phone, uh, the version app on your phone, that's one we'd recommend. could be very helpful to you. But John is a letter that was written by one of the disciples of Jesus. We call it a gospel. It kind of tells the story of Jesus walk uh, and life on earth, but beginning in verse 23, and I'm just going to go and read verse by verse down through verse 28. Jesus replied, and he's speaking to his disciples here. He says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. 
Pause it there. Check that out. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Just stop before you think about what's next. Isn't that a great statement? I mean, what he's saying is, hey guys, you've been waiting for the hour for me to be glorified? Here it is. You've been waiting for me to come in my glory? Here it is. Like, if you're waiting for the big moment, here it is. The hour has come. All that you've been waiting for is here. Like, we are ready to go. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's a beautiful, strong picture. It's like the, the king on his throne. It's like the the day of installing a new leader. It's this moment of the glorification has come. And you can just imagine the disciples thinking, man, this is awesome. Finally, finally, the time has come for our King, for Jesus to be glorified. I mean, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. We feel some of that now as we can't wait to get out of the pandemic restrictions. Wouldn't it be great to hear the hour has come for our freedom? I mean, that's kind of the way it feels here. The hour has come. Here is the time. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then what he says next is ridiculous in light of that. At least it seems that way. Look at verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. To which if you're tracking it all, you're like, okay, if Jesus were the MC to this event, we would ask for a different MC next time because that's a bit of a dud way to start the whole glorification ceremony. I mean, that's a, that's a downer. I don't even know what you're talking about. I mean, time has come to be glorified and now you're talking about a seed dying. Not very uplifting. It's a very strange preview to glorification. This is not how you introduce it at all. But look at what he says again, and he leads with this seed image and then moves forward. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it does die, then it produces many seeds. That the death of the seed is necessary for greater impact. In fact, if it stays alive and fights to stay alive, it only can have a small impact. To put it another way, if the seed won't die, it will only make a fraction of a difference that it should make. If the seed is unwilling to die, it cannot have the kind of impact that it should have. If the seed is unwilling to die, it will only have a fraction of the impact that it really is designed to have. If the seed fights that and says, oh, I'm going to love my life so much that I'm unwilling to die. And so he begins with this seed imagery of which people say, well, I can get my head around that. That kind of makes sense. And then he goes on in verse 25 and he says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What's he mean by that? Anyone who loves their life will lose it. If we're holding to this life too much, we're going to lose the very thing that we want. And this is that same idea. If I hold it too tight, I'm going to squeeze the life out of it. If I'm going to hold my forms of what I'm used to in worship too much, I'm going to squeeze the life out of them. If I'm going to hold my kids too tight, I'm going to squeeze the life out of that relationship. If I'm going to hold my experiences that I've had in the past that have been great too tight, I'm going to squeeze the life out of it. You know, one of the beauties of a church of 275 plus years old, of which Grace Point is, is we have a tremendous amount of history to pull from. We even have a 250 year history book, by the way, that sometime maybe you can read. And it recounts story after story after story of major change in the life of this church. Many, much of that change is what I would call the death of one cycle and the rebirth of a new from 
separating men and women on one side of the sanctuary to, to the other, from having no music in our worship services to having the kind of music that we have now, to having no flowers in weddings, they're allowing that now, and having even years ago, having people who would smoke right outside in our parking lot after services were over as they talked about their shipment of tobacco going to Philadelphia on our horse-drawn carts. I mean, we have a history of forms changing over time. It just is very different when you read this. And Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it. And then anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. And what he's saying is not that you need to hate your life as if you need to have a self-hatred of who you are. But in contrast to loving it, Jesus is saying in contrast to wanting to preserve your life, if you're willing to loosen your grip a little bit, if you're willing to let yourself die, then you will find the life that you actually want. That is a scary, scary proposition. But Jesus goes on in verse 26. And he says, Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Look at what he's saying there. If you serve me, you must follow me. If you serve me, you must follow me. Jesus is previewing the cross. Now, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, not yet in John chapter 12, but he's going to go to the cross. He's telling his disciples here, if you want to serve me, if someday you want to be called a Christian or a Jesus follower, if you're going to serve, you're going to have to follow. You're going to have to come the way of the cross. And so to put it this way, like we can't claim, right? We can't claim the benefits of the cross without following the example of it. We can't claim the benefits of the cross without following in the example of it. You can't, you can't have the benefits of the cross. You can't say I'm a Christian and I get to, and I get to call myself a Christian, come under the cross and all that that represents, but I'm not willing myself to die. I'm not willing myself to set aside my preferences. I can't, I can't love someone else enough to say that maybe their opinion is worth honoring. I've got to hold my ground. I've got to preserve the things that I want to preserve. I'm going to run into the fire of my life and pull out something. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to preserve it for who I am and what I am. The cross is that place where Jesus went to. He says, if you're going to serve me, you're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to follow me to that place where you yourself are willing to lay down your own life. You yourself are willing to lay down your own preferences for the sake, for the sake of love, for the sake of loving your neighbor. The mark of the Christian, the mark of the Christian is that we love our Lord with all of our heart and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the mark. And Jesus Nailed that down in John 17 for us that this is how the world will know that he is real and that he cares is that people who follow him will love one another. Well, Jesus goes on. And if we're honest about this, this is a hard teaching. This idea that you go to the cross and give up your preferences. If you actually process that as a very hard teaching. And I'll be honest, it's hard for Jesus. I love the humanity of verse 27. I love the honesty of verse 27. Because Jesus engages us where we are if we're honest about this in verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. Why would his soul, deep down his soul, why would his soul be troubled? Why? Because he's talking about himself dying. He's talking about the reality. He's embraced. He's engaged. He is a allowed himself to think like I have maybe about GPC. What if it never comes back? What if it dies? What if we can't save it from the fire? And what if it's gone? It troubles your soul to lose something you love. 
And Jesus' soul is troubled now. He's talked about this. So he's going to go to the cross. And he's saying, now my soul is troubled. What, what, what shall I say in that space? I'm going to lose things that I love. And the thing I love is my life. I mean, I want to preserve my life. Now that my soul is troubled, what, what, what should I say? What should I say? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? Is that what I should do? You know, should I just ask my father, ask my dad to save me so I don't have to go through the pain of death? Is that what I should do? And he says almost rhetorically, no. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. I'm not going to bail when it's hard. I know that death is hard. I know the death of my preferences, the death of my life is hard. It is hard and it grieves me. It troubles my soul when I stop to process the grief of losing things that I love. And in this image of my opening question about what you would get out of your, your home if it was on fire. Listen, in your home, there are so many valuable things. It would be nearly impossible to choose that one thing that you would save. But the reality is, in, in the church, in our community, the things that we're going to lose, and maybe we may never get back, are real losses that should be grieved. And they may need to be grieved by you. You may need to name them and write them down and process that grief and talk about that and verbalize that. Jesus does. He says, my soul is troubled. I'm honestly in grief right here. But what should I do? Should I walk in the middle of the pain? He says, no, it's for this reason that I came. And then he finishes verse 28. He says, Father, I'm just going to read the first part of that. Father, glorify your name. He returns to this idea of glorification again. He returns to this idea of glory. He returns to this idea of a majestic kind of triumphal moment where glory will take over, where the, the image of God, the glory of God will be raised up, will be highlighted, that every knee one day will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, that God will be glorified. But you don't get to glory without going through loss. You don't get to glory without going through death. Jesus doesn't get to glory without losing his own life in the process. Because if we hold, and you know this is true, if we hold the things that we love too tight, we squeeze the life out of them. Which is why you know some people who are living a seemingly abundant life, maybe materially, but inside, they're anxious, they're worried. There's joy that's been gone from them. Why? Because when we hold things too tight, we lose the very thing that we want. Jesus sets this up so, so well for us. So what can I say in this? I want to encourage you here this morning with three things. I want to encourage you with three things. And the first thing is this. If, if church is more important than church is, if church is more important than church is, then the first thing I want to encourage you with is, is this. Be in the right fight. Be in the right fight. I want to encourage you to be careful. Our fight, our fight is not for Grace Point Church. Our fight is not for our past preferences. Our fight is not going to be that. If it is, if it is, it's the wrong fight to have. It's a fight that's too small. It's a fight that will squeeze the life out of the church. That is not our fight. Our fight is for the church universal. Our fight is for a church that is rooted in love and driven by mission. To be able to express to people in this community and beyond that the love of God is real and that through death comes life. That holding on and grabbing all that life has to offer, which is what some people think is hope filled. And I understand why, because it's all we see in front of us. That is a path that leads to death. It doesn't lead to life because there's not enough that you can hold in your hands to give you life. And Jesus model 
is what drives the church. Be willing to give that up. Be willing to follow me to the cross and give up the very things that you prefer so that people can see what life is really like. The freedom from myself that I may love God and love others. That brings life. That is the right fight to be in. The fight to love God and love others with all that we have. Second thing I want to encourage you with this morning. So I want to encourage you to embrace generosity to help loosen your grip. I want to encourage you to embrace generosity to help loosen your grip. And by generosity, you might think immediately financially, as if I maybe I'm asking for more contributions from you or something. That's not what I mean at all. Certainly there's generosity there financially, but what I mean by this is you can be generous with your time right now. You can be generous with your words right now. You can be generous with your service right now. You can be generous with your leadership capital, with your reputation capital. You can be generous by giving people the benefit of the doubt right now. There's a variety of ways that you can be generous, even outside of writing a check or giving a donation. I'm talking about the generosity of spirit that says, I'm going to use my reputation well for your benefit. I'm going to write you a note because I think it may be a hard week for you. I'm going to text you because I care about you. I'm going to be generous with my time for you. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to be generous in how I see you, and I'm going to loosen the grip on the things that I think are so important by choosing to be generous. And that the act of generosity, of giving up something for you, actually serves to give life to both of us. I want to encourage you to embrace generosity to help loosen your grip. And then thirdly, I just want to finish by this and encouraging you to ask a question through prayer. Ask God if there's anything that you're holding on to too tight? Is there anything that you're holding on to too tight? Anything that you're embracing that you want to hold on to that you're used to that has been a part of your history and background that maybe if you're honest, if you're holding too tight might actually be minimizing your life, your vision, shrinking down your vision to a package that you can hold in your hand. It's not transforming you. It's not catalyzing you. You're comfortable with it. You don't want to lose your comfort. Ask God, is there anything I'm holding too tight? Do I need to let this go and embrace some of the new that might be as a result of this pandemic? That I might be able to see what it means to follow you to the cross, to be willing to give up my preferences, to be willing to rethink and re-envision what even the very purpose of church is. That the church Universal is more important than church is, even our expression of it here at Grace Point Church. You know, I, uh, I don't know what you would grab if you had a chance to run into your home and it was on fire. I don't know. But I hope as we kind of run into our community and there's little fires to put out here and there, that as we run into it, that our run in would be to save would be to save the church that is rooted in love and driven by the mission of God to show that love with strategic intentionality for the social, spiritual, and cultural good of our community, that people in every place, regardless of church affiliation, will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I would hope that I would run for. That's what I hope you run for during this season as well. Next week, we're going to cover part two. We're going to drop the yes on another word. Talk about the nature of a church in a different way that I hope will be encouraging for you and challenging for you as well. Will you pray with me? 
Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be together here this morning, and I pray that you would renew our vision of what it means to hold things dear to our hearts. May we hold the things that are most important. May you free us from the tyranny of holding things too tight that we actually end up squeezing the life out of them. Pray that you'd free us to see again the mission of your church, to be generous with our vision, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our words, to be generous with our parenting, to be generous people who are showing love to the least of these among us to those who are in trouble and want need their voices to be heard among us. I pray that we would be people who show and demonstrate the clear, strong love of God, no matter what. Give us courage to be in the right fight and not to get distracted by the side skirmishes that go on. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for the time we could share this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.